ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I am your host and narrator, spring Jack, and thank you all for tuning in. If you're a new listener, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to check out the show. Hopefully you stick around and hopefully you like what you hear. If you're a returning listener, you know how much I appreciate you guys, but thank you just the same for tuning back in. I'm going to take this time to give you a brief disclaimer, new listeners and returning listeners. This show is not safe for work, it's not safe for your kids, it's not safe for anybody in your life that's been deemed sensitive or easily triggered. Uh, it's not so much the content that we cover, but my abrasive-ass personality that does rub people the wrong way. So if you're easily offended, please turn the show off now. I'd also like to bring it to your attention that I oftentimes, during all these episodes, will play advertisements for fake companies that don't exist. Why do I play them? Because they're funny. I don't own the, own the rights to any of the any of the material that I play other than the stories sometimes. And I am not profiting off Rockstar Games' hard work because they are the ones that made those fake commercials. I just find them amusing, and I'd like to share them with you. And that is all. So let's get started with one of those fake commercials, and then we'll get into the topic of today's storytelling. I think it's one you're going to like. On that journey to the top, you probably had to make a few sacrifices, including long-term friendships. But in Los Santos, perception is everything, and anything can be bought. You need to make a splash at social occasions and fill your fancy new house with tons of friends. If it's a glamorous occasion, we'll provide models and movie stars. If it's a business function, we'll bring along oligarchs and senior executives. Perhaps you want something a little funkier. We've got Mirror Park hipsters for hire so you can slip on your skinny jeans and show your alternative side. People of different ethnicities and sexual preferences will mingle and make you look good instead of the desperate, close-minded guy you are. Call Appropriate Associates today. Speaking of desperate, close-minded guys and girls... This one's for you today, because I know a lot of you have been under quarantine order for far too long. I know California just went back under one, so <laughs> that sucks. I'm sure a lot of you are lonely, because you're all, of course, law-abiding citizen and not breaking the social distancing rules for fear of government's wrath, or whatever, or getting sick, or whatever you are scared of. So today, anyway, keep my politics out of it. I have something for all you lonely fucks out there. Today we're going to be talking about spooky fucking, or ghost fucking, or ghost busting, or whatever you want to call it. But, with no more further ado, today the first story that we will be reading is called The Sex Tape. As always, from creepypasta.com, I have not read these before, so hopefully they're good, but if not, the reaction that I give you will be the honest reaction that I have when reading it. I'm not going to pretend that something that isn't frightening is frightening. Because you guys aren't fucking idiots, and you deserve better. I don't know where to begin, but this happened and I need to talk about it. Oh, fuck you, fairy. I live in a fairly quiet suburb in the UK, though I don't want to say where. Because you're soft. My house backs onto a small woodland, and beyond that there are plenty of fields. Well, is it woodland or is it fields? Oh, it's... there's woods and then fields. Yeah, okay, my house backs up against a mountain, and beyond that, there's desert, and beyond that, there's forest, and beyond that, there's Canada. 
Yeah, all right. The front of the house is on a quiet street. Nothing much happens around here. I live with two other people, friends from university. We moved here when we finished our degrees and things have been just fine. I have a small balcony from my room. We even have a jacuzzi. It all feels a bit much after university life, but it's nice. My girlfriend comes over quite a bit and we enjoy each other's company. But then, something happened. She was over the other night, my girlfriend. I'll call her M for fear that you psycho stalkers come and find her. Why the fuck does everyone in creepypastas give fake names? Or initials like they're in a James Bond movie. Anyway, M was over and we were in bed, fooling around. The door was locked and my housemates were out, so we both knew where things were heading. Our clothes were on the floor and our lips were on each other, and when I asked her about maybe recording ourselves on webcam, I should add that this has been brought up before. She gave me an excited smile, and I moved the laptop so it was facing us. Facing the window. Ooh. Anyway, I won't go into details about what happened next, because that's not really the place for it. Damn it. It was, it was what happened afterwards that you need to know about. We had sexual intercourse and then fell asleep, leaving the webcam recording. It slipped my mind, really. I woke up an hour or so later and turned it off. It's now almost a week later, and I've just watched it. I'm away in the United States for a month for work, which is why we decided to make the recording in the first place. I started it up for obvious reasons and began watching. Things looked pretty good. We were definitely putting on a good show. <laughs> but then I saw it, and while we faced towards the laptop or at each other, there was somebody else watching in the dark behind the window. Ooh, Barely visible through the reflection of the glass, there were two sinister eyes. A faint light formed around a man's face. His features ragged, but I couldn't tell much more than that. He just stands there. And the most discomforting thing is that he doesn't seem to be watching us have sex. He just watches the webcam. He stares right into it. He doesn't stop, doesn't flinch even, when it looks like we might look around, and then he disappears. For a short while, at least. As we slept, his eyes came back into the light and narrowed. Then the handle of the balcony door slowly starts to turn. A wave of nauseating fear crept over me, realizing that I never locked the balcony door because I'm an idiot. It opens ever so slowly with his eyes fixed on the webcam, but now, twitching between that and our sleeping bodies, he takes a first step in and licks his lips. He enters fully and closes the door again. He stands over us, breathing heavily, his whole body rocking when he exhales. He's now staring only at us, blinking wildly. I move in my sleep and he looks at me with anger, eyes narrowing. Turning his gaze, he focuses on my girlfriend and lightly touches her hair, moving it from her face. His hands are shaking and he keeps standing like this for five, ten minutes, just standing and watching. I was in a cold sweat when watching this and I tried calling my housemates with no answer. I tried calling my girlfriend as well with no answer. The pause screen of him holding my girlfriend's hair stayed on the screen. I ran to the bathroom to puke. I came back and carried on watching him standing there. His eyes seemed calm as he stands there. But then his face snaps to the camera and a snarl formed on his lips. That close-up, you can hear him breathe. He stands straight and looks around, and then crouches down, looking under the bed. Ooh, then he disappears from view. He got under the bed. Yikes. The remains of the hour carry on with silence, and eventually I wake up from my sleep, turn the laptop off, but he never left. Ah! All right, this is a good one. Now I'm a thousand miles away, and no one will pick up their phone. It's a long shot, but girlfriend, if you're reading this, stay at your place, lock the doors, and close the curtains, and then call me. Oh, shit.
Wow. That was a good one. That was written by Bryn the Human. Holy fuck. That chilled me a bit. But first of all, why the fuck would your girlfriend spend the night at your apartment with your two dude roommates if you're in America? I call shenanigans. But fuck, man. That's a spooky one. All right, let's hear a fake ad. The video game of the year. Roger that, Bravo Sierra. We've got some insurgents killing orphans, and they've got some nerve toxin and a nuke and a random flashback level in which JFK and Castro duke it out on the moon. Righteous Slaughter 7. Copy that, Red Leader. Call in the airstrike. Righteous Slaughter 7. The realistic art of contemporary killing. How do you kill? Rated PG. Pretty much the same as the last game. Well, goddamn, that was a fucking doozy. I've been picking some pretty good ones recently, I think. Just at random, picking them by name. Speaking of that, this one has a stupid fucking name. It's called Stretching Party. And it starts, I'm into BDSM, bondage, shit like that. Some people might find that weird, but I'm not sure those people are into... I'm sure those people are into others... What? I'm sure those people into things others might strange. Nice writing, fucker. I think he was getting excited as he was thinking about his, his infatuation. So let's not judge. I'm not judging your, your fetishes. I'm judging your poor speaking ability. I mention this because it's important to, to what happened. It gives you an idea of what kind of company I often keep. Politicians, fucking senators and shit. The kinds of places that I often find myself. A BDSM club I'm a member of. That's where it all started. You write like a shitty true crime author. Fuck your asshole. It was last weekend around 1 a.m. Saturday night. Or early Sunday if you want to be a dick about it. Hey, fuck you, asshole. Some of us work overnight. And I was just an observer for the night. And yeah, because you couldn't afford to be a participant. <laughs> Oops. In these kinds of places, one sees all manner of interesting attire. Lots of latex, zipper, chains. Yeah, alright man, fucking go to a motorcycle rally. The man that summoned my attention and kicked this whole thing into gear was wearing a red latex suit that looked as if it were painted on. Isn't that the point of latex? Dipshit. He said he'd seen me there over the past year and that he knew I was serious about the life we'd chosen. He spoke cryptically. Seems pretty straightforward to me, stupid ass. And everything about his tone and his choice of words made it seem like he was almost like a BDSM purist. What does that mean? He commented on my piercings and tattoos, commending me for my commitment to body mods. I don't have anything extreme, just sleeves and a few piercings. He then told me I was ready to ascend to the future, only now. What? It was fucking weird, but I like weird, so I was intrigued and I asked what he meant. And he said that the club in which we stood was a child's playhouse, a diet, sugar-free version of where I belonged. Mind you, he said that this as we stood in a room featuring a woman suspended from the ground, hogtied, having her stomach and legs whipped with the cat of nine tails. I've never been particularly into the most extreme stuff, but again, I was intrigued. Part of me thinks that I wasn't the person who was supposed to get the card and that the man in the red latex suit mistook me for somebody else. Okay. The man in the red suit handed me a business card that gave only an address and brief instructions. He told me to go join the upper echelon that night because I'd earned the opportunity. 
Sounds like you're about to get fucking murdered, homegirl. When prompted, I was to give that night's password of Omega. Alpha and the Omega, beginning at the end. I put the address into the GPS on my phone and found that it was located in the downtown area of the mysterious city in which I live. Had it been a rough neighborhood or the middle of nowhere, I'd have given it more consideration, but the address was to one of the largest buildings in the city, and for some reason, that gave me peace of mind. I know that's dumb, but curiosity killed the cat. Yeah, you're the cat. I left the club and went to the building. I pulled into the parking garage and drove to the fourth level per the instructions on the card. Once there, valet opened my door, and I was walked into the building and up to the 27th floor, the hallways of which were lined with people holding odd positions, like some kind of live art installation. I was taken into a part of a building, part of the building that was cordoned off, and I saw what I thought was the aforementioned upper echelon, and it looked no different than where I'd been half an hour prior, only with better lighting which wasn't necessarily a good thing. Okay, well said. There were maybe 60 people in there, and they were all wearing the same sorts of BDSM garb as the club I'd come from. Only these people had more body mods done. I hadn't been asked for a password at this point, so I wasn't exactly sure why I'd been sent to this place, as if it were such a huge step from where I'd been going for years. But then the light dropped, and two bowls filled with a flammable liquid that sat upon waist-high pillars, and they were set ablaze by a man who stepped in between them. The man was wearing a normal business suit, but his face had all sorts of weird mods done to it, from tattoos to piercings to all sorts of bumps on his nose, and he went as far as having the skin between his nostrils removed, leaving simply a nose and a gaping hole. He gave a speech, welcoming everybody, inviting them to have a good time, but then he began talking about something more. This place is inclusive of all, all the most extreme, the most imaginative, the most different. There should be a few of you in the crowd that were given a password. I invite those of you with that password to form a line at the elevator, and I will escort you to the main event of the evening. If tonight is your first night, you should consider yourself quite lucky. You're going to witness the final product of Miss Bennett's transformation. A light applause swept over the room. Password holders, please step forward to the elevator. I, along with about 15 other people, went to the elevator, and before we stepped into it, into either, what? Oh my god, you fucking illiterate asshole. I, along with about 15 other people, went to the elevators, and before we stepped into either of the two made available to us, we whispered the password to a large man in a suit. Up to the 30th floor we went, and stepping off the elevator... There were sheets on either side of us, creating a sort of makeshift hallway. We followed this path until we reached a large open area, at the back of which was an area hidden by yet another sheet. This one hung horizontally, almost like a stage with its curtain pulled. We were led into the open space, and for about 40 minutes we all just kind of stood around, conversing amongst ourselves. I found someone else who was also there for the first time, and when we tried to ask others what we were going to be seeing, each person said that we just needed to see it for ourselves. One man did say that the last time they had one of these events was over a year prior, so he couldn't exactly be sure what they'd be seeing, but he had a rough idea. You have all seen the most extreme body mods, a voice boomed and the lights dimmed. Holes where holes shouldn't be, splits where things should be together, things together where they should be apart. Well, we've got something new for you today, something we guarantee you've never seen. Something that will amaze you, as it amazed us to perform on the lovely, brave Miss Bennett. In a few moments, you will be the first to see...
undoubtedly become the new rage in body mods in that world. Welcome to the stretching party. Oh, gross. I began trading guesses with my new friend as to what was going to have been stretched on this Miss Bennett woman, but both of us eagerly anticipated the reveal while also a bit nervous. I mean, I was into the lifestyle, but I didn't want to see anything too disgusting. And all signs were pointing that this was going to be something extremely hardcore, especially compared to what I was used to. A short time later, a drum roll began emanting through the room. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare yourselves for a truly one-of-a-kind woman, the same voice blared over the loudspeaker. Over the course of two and a half years, 19 procedures have been implemented to complete Ms. Bennett's transformation. They, well, you don't want to hear me talk, I give you. Phase 24 of the stretching party. And with that, the curtain slowly drew back, revealing what was indeed a stage. The whole room got silent. Yet so quiet you'd be able to hear a mouse skitter across the floor. Then came the footsteps, clunky, uneven footsteps, coming from somewhere behind and to the side of the stage. The steps got louder, and they got closer to the stage. And then I saw the silhouette, and my heart sank to my stomach. A black figure... Thinner than thin, standing tall, tall, leaning hard to the left. Two spotlights turned on, flooding the stage with light, and gasps and hushed whispers filled the viewing area. She limped towards the stage on legs that were twice as long as my own, with braces on them to keep her standing. Her torso was extended, with a space each above and below her ribs that isn't there on the average person. And as I said, she was hunched over, hard to the left, and her arms, which looked like they had two extra wrists each, hung down and swayed as she stutter-stepped out, aided by a man in a suit on either side of her. Her jaw had somehow been unhinged, making a deep underbite on her mouth that couldn't possibly close. A massive black hole on her face that was twice the size and twice as long as it should have been. Her nostrils had been stretched to the size of half dollars, and her earlobes hung down to the lineup with her bottom lip. The man helped her to the center of the stage and stood ready to catch her if she fell as slowly, clumsily, awkward, awkwardly twirled in a circle. As she did, I saw that there were several more notches in her bent spine than there would have been normally, and then a voice came back on over the loudspeaker. Miss Bennett has dedicated herself to our community, community becoming, without question, the most modified woman on the planet. <sighs> We have added several titanium rods in her to act as new bones and performed a number of skin grafts to cover the extra space. This woman is the eighth wonder of the world, and you all have the privilege of being the first to lay eyes upon her. The room filled with a light clap from the guests that was both amazed and horrified. A gurgle left the gaping mouth of the at least nine-foot-tall Miss Bennett as she stood on braced yet wobbly legs. I looked around the room and found one couple aggressively making out with each other, another man slowly jerking off, and others whispering to themselves and pointing up at the stretched woman. It was at this point that I decided I'd had enough. I said bye to the guy I had been talking to, who ignored my departure and just kept staring at the woman, tearfully. What the fuck? As I tried to leave, I was stopped by two men in suits at the elevator door who made me sign a non-disclosure agreement form, which I did, and apparently ignored, because I wrote this awful piece of shit. They then accompanied me to the fourth floor parking garage and only finally turned around as I began driving. I called the police immediately because why the fuck wouldn't I? Nothing about what I had seen seemed remotely legal or ethical. The police went to where the party was being held 
Getting there probably an hour after I'd left, and it was almost as if nobody had been there at all. According to the police, the only evidence they found of anyone being there on either on either of the floors that I'd been to was a few pieces of duct tape that had ostensibly been used to hold the sheets up and a puddle of what looked to be drool on the stage area. The parking garage was empty, and the police quickly lost interest, even suggesting that I had made the whole thing up for attention. Then a few minutes after that, after I'd hung up the phone with the police, I got a text. You were not prepared for the upper echelon. You attempted to compromise our hard work, but we are a forgiving group, fortunately for you. Despite your transgression, you will have the privilege, like Miss Bennett, of being our guest of honor for the next stretching party. See you soon. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that I should have heeded the warning of the curious cat. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you. That was terrible. Thank you, Nick Bodick on Creepypasta.com for wasting my goddamn time. Maybe you should go to that fucking stretching party. You know how to stretch out a goddamn story. What is DNA? How old is the Earth? What's holding me back? Are we all from the same tree? Why is science so confusing? How many women can I lie with? Can I pay money and have all of life's answers? Yes. 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 We speak 160 languages on six continents, including Antarctica. Kiflam. We are the Epsilon Program. All right, this next one's called The Hazards of Dating by Christine Drugger. Dating sucks dick as an adult. All right. I'm listening. The only way to meet new people is either on the internet or in a bar. Or church, you barbarian fuck. I'm not comfortable trying to start a relationship with somebody I've come across in either of these scenarios. Fuck yeah, Christine. Well said. At 28 years old, not being romantically interested in any of my unmarried friends or coworkers, I figured I was doomed to be single for the rest of my life. But then I met her. I was walking home from my favorite local comic book store, nose buried in my newest purchase, when I walked straight into the woman of my dreams. Her piercing blue eyes crinkled a bit at the corners as she laughed at my bumbling apology. She looked down at the ground briefly and tucked a bit of her dark brown hair behind her ear before looking back at me and sticking out her hand. I'm Miranda, she cooed as I shook her hand. She was beautiful and I was, I was hooked. Introductions turned into small talk and small talk turned into conversation and before I knew it, she was slobbing my knob. Just kidding. Before I knew it, my watch informed me that I'd been sitting on the grass next to the sidewalk for two hours, bullshitting. I regretfully announced that I needed to go home, and I nervously asked if she'd like to meet me the next night for dinner. She agreed. And we set the time and place aside for our date. I was over the moon for the rest of the night and most of the next day, and my nerves kicked it on the way to the expensive Italian restaurant we decided on. Or my nerves kicked in, I'm sorry, on the way to the expensive Italian restaurant we decided It suddenly occurred to me that we hadn't even exchanged phone numbers. What if she was just being polite and had no intention of coming? Then eat your meal alone like a fucking boss, Holmes. What if she was in an accident or her car broke down or she couldn't make it? Then you'll never see her again. Boo-hoo. A million scenarios raced through my head as I began to sweat, and my heart started to race. Wow, you're soft. My stomach was in knots when I walked through the door of the restaurant, but the bad feelings fell away as soon as I saw her standing in the corner wearing a purple dress that complimented her slim figure. The hostess looked up at me, funny, when I asked for a table for two, and my anxiety perked up again. My panic had left me sweaty, and I was suddenly aware that I had run my fingers through my hair a few times while in transit. I must look a mess, despite my nice pants and buttoned shirt. I used my hands to ensure my hair was put back into place and to wipe my forehead with a sleeve. As I followed my hostess and my date to a table in the corner of the eatery, 
The date went surprisingly well. Miranda let me order for both of us. That's well. Telling me that she trusted my judgment. Oh, gross. We chatted and laughed through the meal like we'd known each other forever. The world around me could have been in shambles, and I wouldn't have noticed. I thoroughly loved being with her. Of course, the joy of new loved was short-lived. Otherwise, I wouldn't be posting this here of all places. All right, I'm listening. We decided to go for a stroll through the nearby park after I paid the bill. I worked up the courage to reach for her hand as we happily walked along the concrete path lit by soft yellow lights. My fingers linked with hers, and just as I felt how cold her skin was, I noticed that she had stopped talking, and the air around us had grown tense. My first thought was that I fucked up. I looked at her, already asking if she was alright. Jesus. She changed. Her skin had turned a bluish gray, marked with deep purple bruises around her throat. The left side of her face was rotted away so that I could see her teeth through her cheek. The bright blue of her eyes was now covered in a milky film that stared at me with a hatred so deep that even the bravest soldier would have likely cowered. I choked on a gasp and tried to back away, but she strengthened her grip on my, on her hand, on my hand so that I could only move as far as our combined arm's length. My fingers throbbed, and the muscles in my hand and wrist started burning while I tried to pull them free from her grasp. Her fingers were so decomposed that I could see tendons and bone, but they were strong, inhumanly strong. My yells for help echoed off the surrounding trees, and I pulled with all my might, but Miranda wouldn't let go. She just stood there in her dirty, tattered dress, staring at me like I was the worst piece of shit alive. My heart was beating so hard that I could feel it pounding from my chest in the top of my head. Tears streaked down my face. I stopped yelling. Even if my labored breathing allowed the effort, I knew no one could hear me. I fell to my knees, forcing myself to stare at the ground instead of the rotting woman before me. I begged in between the panting. Please don't kill me. Miranda started laughing at me then. Not the musical laugh that had hypnotized me earlier, but a deep, menacing cackle that made me shiver. When she stopped, she crouched down so that we were face to face. She tilted her head, the bones on the back of her neck cracking and popping with the movement, and I grimaced. I said the same thing, you know. Didn't help me out a bit. She brought up the hand that wasn't on the verge of breaking mine and stroked my cheek, leaving a sticky trail of rotten blood as her skin tore off on contact. Once she met the base of my jaw, the tender gesture ended and she wrapped her hand around my throat. She pushed me to my back and brought her other hand to my throat uh, at the same time as she straddled me. I gasped and fought, alternating between trying to push her off and attempting to pull her hands away. The edges of my vision grew hazy and the picture of her ghoulish complexion blurred, and I was certain that I was about to die. Just before I lost consciousness, she lowered her face until it was just inches away from mine and screamed. I brought my hands to my ears to try to block out the piercing shriek and shut my eyes tight. After a moment, I realized that the pressure around my throat was gone and that I could breathe again. I rolled onto my side, coughing and rubbing my throat as Miranda's screams faded into the echo. She was gone. I laid on the ground for a few minutes until my breathing and heart rate returned to a semi-normal state. Then I ran to where I'd parked my car at the restaurant and drove home. It took a few days for the bruising around my neck to heal, but... Physically, there was no permanent damage done. I counted my blessings and have not gone on a date since. 
When the grid goes down, America will be plunged into decades of darkness. Are you ready? Get your complete apocalypse kit at Ammunition. Contains foodstuffs and alcohol for three months. A massive array of armaments. Cartons of cigarettes to trade with roadside wanderers. Plus, the apocalypse kit contains birth control, so you don't create any more mouths to feed. Pornography. And a wind-up radio so you can hear news reports about the idiots who didn't prepare. It also includes a seed kit. When there's rampant cannibalism going on, what you want to do is take up gardening. Perhaps you can barter for your life with a carrot. You'll learn how to make a tourniquet, cauterize a stump if you have to saw off your arm or leg, making booby traps, bushcraft, and how to determine if your significant other has been replaced by a body double. We all know Y2K was a bust, but trust us, this one is real. We can pretty much guarantee a real apocalypse will happen soon. Order the Ammunition Apocalypse Kit today. It's an investment in the inevitable. You won't regret Ammunition. Protecting your rights. All right. Let's get on to another one, shall we? Mm-hmm. This one was written by Alice Thomas Thompson. It's titled, I Remember Alice. I remember Alice. It was the summer of 2004 when the two of us first met. I just started at university. I was a dorky, somewhat awkward-looking girl, too skinny, too flat-chested, and with hair that was basically uncontrollable. I was neither particularly athletic or the first one to come up with something witty to say, so for the first few months I spent there studying psychology. I went mostly unnoticed by the other students around campus beyond the occasional friendly, what's up, bitch? It never seemed odd to me how little interaction I seemed to have with other guys or girls there. In fact, when I thought back on my life, I found that I couldn't remember many friendships. I'd never had a girlfriend or boyfriend. Despite no small amount of trying on my part, my life had been dull, uneventful, and unremarkable. And then along came Alice. She was like something straight out of a magazine or a movie. Perfect hair. A body that most supermodels would murder for. Teeth straight out of a toothpaste commercial. Hopefully the after picture, not the before. Eyes that you could just gaze at for hours on end. She was a goddess walking the earth. I had no idea why she wanted to sit next to me that first day that she did. She just threw herself into the chair beside me, looked me over quickly and gave me a friendly-sounding hey before introducing herself and asking what my name was. Janet, uh, are you new to this class, I asked. I was sure that I would have remembered seeing a girl who looked like her, but I couldn't recall ever having noticed her before. Then again, I did tend to keep my head down and just focus on taking notes. I wasn't the most social of people. Duh, I've been here longer than you have. Didn't you notice me, she asked. Thinking back, I realized I had seen her before in class. In fact, I could remember how on my first day, I'd been taken with how pretty she was. The sight of her sending a little shiver through my body. I'd just been too shy to get up the nerve to talk to her. After years of rejection and heartbreak, it felt like a wasted effort. She probably isn't even into girls, I told myself. Resigning myself to only gazing at her, never getting to know her. Now here she is, sitting beside me, smiling at me in a way that could only be described as flirty. Hello. Where did you go off to? Geez, you space out like that often or what? She asked, and though her tone was teasing, it was in a way that was playful, rather than sounding like an asshole. Her voice sounded so good, I could remember all the times I'd listened to her before, walking past her, chatting with her friends in the hall. She could have been a voice actress if she wanted to. She had a voice you just wanted to listen to. Sorry, uh, I guess I just kind of zoned out. 
laughingly, I tried to brush aside my awkwardness. She smiled at me again, playfully, brushing her fingers over my hair. I tried very hard not to show just how much I loved the feeling of a hand stroking my hair like that. Forget it. So are you going to go into this stupid Halloween party tonight or what? It's going to suck, but I was thinking if I didn't go alone, maybe the suckage would be lessened a little. I couldn't remember the last time anybody had wanted me to go anywhere with them. I couldn't even remember my own parents wanting me hanging around them all that much. There had been no tearful there had been no tearful goodbyes when I'd left for the university, no desperate pleas for me to call every day or come back for the holidays, and now this impossibly perfect woman was asking me to come with her to a party, telling me how she wanted me there, how it would make the experience better if I was there. Don't you want to go with your friends? I asked her, feeling like smacking myself on the forehead. Why was I trying to talk her out of it? Shut up, dipshit. I cursed at myself internally, wishing that I could just switch off my mouth sometimes. Those shallow bitches, please. We share a dorm and that's about it. Literally all they do is talk about guys. Boring, Alice said, rolling her eyes melodramatically. You're not, uh, interested in guys, I asked. And again, wished I could switch my mouth off. Could that possibly have sounded more awkward? God, no. Why? Please tell me you're not into guys. That would just seriously crush my hopes for how tonight might go, she said, giving me a little wink. I think I could have died happy right then and there. I was being flirted with by a woman who looked like the love child of Dita Von Teese and Jessica Rabbit. She was asking me on a date. It was happening. This was a thing that was happening to me. I'm pretty sure that if I hadn't been sitting down, I might as well have swooned and passed out. Okay. I'm not into guys, I managed to reply, smiling back at her. She grinned widely, showing off those perfect teeth. She ran her tongue over them. And I let out a little gasp. If we hadn't been in class, I'm pretty certain I would have grabbed her and started trying to make out with her right there. Thanks, Satan. What time do you want to meet? We made plans to meet at 8. Got a few pre-drinks in and then head to the party. As we spoke, I noticed one odd thing out of the corner of my eye. A girl sat a few rows ahead of us, staring at the two of us intently. She had messy red hair and looked a bit like your stereotypical goth girl. Uh, That's what I thought, at least. And she was looking at Alice with an incredibly odd expression. It was like fear mixed with hate. I put it out of my head pretty quick, though. She's probably a bigot or jealous, I thought to myself. And I found that by the end of the class, I had almost completely forgotten about her. It seems like you're pretty fucking good at that. If I hadn't noticed her watching me as I left, I probably wouldn't have thought about her for the rest of the day. The party, as Alice had predicted, did suck pretty hard. Idiotic, drunken frat boys doing idiotic, drunken frat boy shit. Make me want to get down on my knees and thank God that I wasn't attracted to these morons. No one else at the party really made an effort to talk to me, and I felt too shy to talk to them, but there was one high point, and that is Alice. Beautiful, perfect Alice. We danced, we drank, we fell over laughing at each other's stupid little jokes, and every moment that I was near her, everything felt better. It was like I'd been living in a black-and-white world of Kansas up until now, and here she was, leading me by the hand to the amazing Technicolor world of Oz. The world felt brighter because I was near her. Even when she just left to get us drinks, I found myself counting the seconds until she was back. That grumpy bitch was there, too. She kept staring over at me, with the saddest look I've ever seen on her face. Despite how weird she'd been in class, despite that horrible look she'd been giving Alice, I actually felt kind of sorry for her. She looked miserable. Like a kid who found out there's no Santa Claus on the same day their puppy got run over. Jesus, fuck, man. But every time I thought about going over to her, I found myself thinking about Alice instead. 
What if she thought I was trying to flirt with this other girl? What if she got jealous or angry? What if she left? Then you'd be better off, my friend. You don't want to deal with that shit. It's only going to get worse. It was walking back to my dorm that Alice first kissed me. Her lips against mine, her body pressing against mine, her fingers tangling themselves up in my hair, running through it. It felt the way I'd always imagined a kiss should feel, and when she pulled away, I think I must have been blushing or had some stupid, stunned look on my face because she giggled and asked if that was the first time that I'd been kissed by a girl. I think it's my first time being kissed by anybody, I replied. I couldn't remember a single kiss, not from a girlfriend, not from a friend, not... I couldn't even remember so much as getting a hug from my own parents. I couldn't remember a single loving or affectionate touch before now. Well, let's see what other first we can stuff into tonight, Alice replied with a mischievous grin. We became pretty much inseparable after that. After what? Ah, oh, you fucking tease. Wherever Alice went, I would follow. I couldn't think of a single hour of the day when we weren't either together in person or staying in touch via text or via, through some social media site one or another. I couldn't think of a single moment when we weren't in some way connected. My life became our life. It didn't really seem odd to me. All couples spent their time together, right? Alice and I just spent more time together than most, maybe. But other couples didn't know how it felt. Other couples didn't know the way that Alice made you feel when you were around her. How boring and unbearable everything felt when she was gone. It was maybe a month later that the strange, unhappy-looking girl I'd seen around managed to corner me in the bathroom. I was washing my hands when she all but threw herself towards me, grabbing my phone out of my bag. In one quick motion and throwing it aside, pressing a hand to my mouth before I'd even had time to react. No, Janet, please don't scream. I don't want to hurt you. Please, don't be afraid. And then she did the last thing I expected. She broke down into tears. I hadn't known what to think of her before now, and my confusion was pretty much tripled. I'd expect, I had expected that she'd have been about to attack me, but instead, right now, it looked like the only person she was in danger to... In, the only person she was a danger to was herself. Long black lines of mascara streaked down her cheeks as her body shook with loud heaving sobs. Her hands pressed to her face. It felt awkward and uncomfortable, but slowly a hand moved to pat her on the back. I did, so I, I felt like an idiot. She was a person, not a dog. What the hell was I patting her for? But I don't know how to react right now. Yeah, I don't know how to react when people are having feelings like that either. I just leave. It's okay, I muttered only for her to look up at me with such intensity to her eyes, a look I'd never seen on another person. It's not okay. Nothing is okay. Tell me my name, Janet. Tell me my name right now, she spat, sounding angry. Bordering on hysterical, I pulled away from her, both out of shock at her sudden change in mood and out of the fear of what she might do. This was a woman who basically had attacked me a moment ago. I don't know your name, I began, but she shook her head, a humorless smile on her face. You know my name. You know me. You know me, goddammit. Now remember. She all but screamed at me, making me press myself up against the wall. I looked at my phone. Alice. I had to call Alice. Alice would know what to do. Alice would be able to help. I would call Alice, and I would hear her voice, and everything would be all right. I began to move towards it, and in a swift motion, she slammed her hand against the wall, blocking my path with her arm as she glared at me, looking frightened now. No, don't call her, goddammit. Don't. She's not the fucking problem. She all but spat at me. I didn't think... I didn't know what she was talking about. Was she jealous of Alice? Was I dealing with some kind of stalker here? I couldn't imagine anyone finding me interesting enough to bother stalking me. But there was something kind of familiar about this girl. And the more I looked at her, at those intense blue eyes, the messy dark auburn hair, the odd-looking nose, 
The more I became certain that I had met her somewhere before, before the day in class, when I'd seen her staring at Alice and me. A hopeful look crossed her face as she stared at me, her hands going to my shoulders, gripping them tightly. You don't remember. You do remember, don't you? It's me. Janet, it's Emily. You know me. Tell me you know me. She said, her voice rising in pitch again. Emily. It was like my brain was full of fog. I was sure I could remember this girl, her face, her eyebrows. One of them was a different shape than the other. She drew them on. She drew them on because she'd burned them off on accident on our first day at university together. And I would always tease her about how she never got them quite right. Emily. Eerie Emily. That's what they'd called her in high school. I'd been dreading being her lab partner, thinking she was too weird. I'd thought she was going to sacrifice me to Satan or something. Eerie Emily. With the most amazing taste in old books and cheesy B-movies. Eerie Emily who had asked me to prom. Eerie Emily who I'd shared my first kiss with three years ago. In an instant, memory started flooding back to me. Friends, loved ones, family, people I'd forgotten. Moments that I had been utterly unable to recall. Thousands, millions of of happy, beautiful, shining memories that for the past month had been completely gone from my mind. Suddenly swarmed back into it. Eerie Emily, my girlfriend, the woman I had loved... The woman I had wanted to spend my life with. A smile creased her lips, that adorable little lopsided smile that she had. She loosened her grip on me, her hands moving to my face, cupping it tenderly, bringing her lips to mine. I could feel tears trickling down my cheeks as she gave me those gentle kisses. Snowflake kisses, we called them. Her lips just brushing against mine lightly. I don't understand. I just forgot you, I said as she stroked my hair softly. You forgot about more than me, and it's not your fault, sweetie. We have to talk. And she told me what happened. The real first time that we had met Alice. It had been a few months ago, on a night out with our friends. She'd come over to us at the bar and introduced herself. Seeming friendly enough at first, she'd quickly become part of our circle of friends, joining us at parties and when we went out for drinks or to the movies. She never talked much about herself, always listening to us, seeming particularly interested in me, which Emily had found kind of weird. Then things started to get really weird. Our friends started drifting away from us, seeming vague and confused at first, then acting as if they'd forgotten us altogether. We'd go up to them, try to talk to them, and they'd act like they'd never seen us before. Then I had begun to act strangely, have trouble remembering things, anything to do with our friends or Emily. It was as as if they were being deleted from my brain, moment by moment, until one day, Emily had woken up and I'd been gone. Suddenly, I was staying with a bunch of people we'd never even shared one word with up until now. She was by herself, and when she came up to me to try to find out what was going on, I'd reacted with nothing but a blank, confused stare. And then one day in class, along came Alice. So she what, drugged us, drugged our friends, drugged the people I'm staying with, gave us some kind of memory-altering chemical or something, I asked? It sounded crazy, like something out of a sci-fi novel, but what other explanation was there? I don't know what she did, but I know it's her. It's got to be her. All of this started when she came along, Emily said, glaring at Alice's name on my phone's address book. I gazed down at it with her, both of us wondering what to do now and we quickly ruled out going to the police. The story would get us locked away in a psych hospital for the rest of our lives if we tried to convince anybody else of it, and had zero evidence that Alice was anything other than what she appeared, a normal, friendly student. We were the only ones who knew otherwise, and it would be our word against hers, and our story would sound far more unbelievable. Which really left us only one option. We need to murder her, Holmes! No. We confront her. We find out what this is about, what she wants. We get to the bottom of this, and then we either force her to undo what she did to the rest of our friends, or we get evidence to get her arrested, or put in the nuthouse, or whatever they do with stalker creeps like her. I couldn't believe how I'd felt about her until moments ago. 
I wouldn't have been able to imagine having a single cross thought for her, feeling anything but adoration for her. It was only now, away from her, and from whatever influence that she had, that I began to realize just how unreal it had been. I sent her a text asking her to meet me at my dorm. I now know that it that I wasn't meant to be there at all, and briefly wondered what had happened to the boy or girl I had replaced. Had she done something to their memory too? Were they now living completely different lives with different memories than the ones they thought they had a month or so before? Had many, how many people had she done this to, and for what purpose? To get me to date her? I was seething with rage when she arrived. That perfection I'd been so obsessed with now seemed fake. She didn't look like a film star. She looked like a film character. No more than that. She looked like a woman created using CGI. There were literally no imperfections. As I stared at her, what I'd once found so incredibly sexy and irres- irresistible now felt frightening and strange. How had I not noticed this before? She was literally too good to be true. Her skin was smooth and flawless like a Barbie. Her every movement seemed designed to be sensual and seductive. She didn't look like a human being. She didn't look. She didn't move like a human being. And I realized that I had never seen her blink, never heard her sneeze, groan, or hiccup. She never had a hangover or never threw up, no matter how much we drank. Had I even seen her eat? I must have. But as I thought back on the last month, I realized I couldn't recall a single time when she had. She took one look at Emily as she entered the room and gave a little sneer, turning from her to me. So she's back, she said. I lost it at that point. That's all you have to say? What the fuck did you do to me, to our friends? What did you give us, some kind of date rape drug? What the hell did you do to get me to go out with you, you sick freak? I screamed at her, feeling my hands ball into fists. She was smiling. And it wasn't the sweet, oh-so-seductive smile she'd worn for the last month. No, it was a sick, ugly, twisted smile. Self-satisfied smile of somebody who's done a terrible thing that takes and takes great pride in it. Imagine Dick Cheney. Drugs. Oh, my poor stupid creature. Your species really does have limited imagination, does it not? But then, one can hardly expect cattle to possess the same level of intellect as the farmer. Otherwise, it wouldn't be nearly so easy to lead them to the slaughter, she said. Her voice sounded different. It didn't sound like one one voice speaking anymore. It sounded like dozens all speaking in unison. The lights were flickering now, and I noticed the room was getting hot. Emily could feel it too, pulling me back towards her, away from Alice. Perfect, impossible Alice, whose skin was now beginning to ripple. You pathetic little shit. You think I did this for your love, for your touch? You think I care a thing about you, you pitiful little nothing? I did this for the oldest and best reasons. I did this for the same reason your kind has been clubbing one another to death since before you invented the wheel. I did this out of hunger, she hissed. And now her skin seemed to be peeling back from her body, sections of it turning slimy, oozing liquid. Parts of her sank into each other, elongating and contracting. Her head grew larger, her fingers stretched. Her legs, her whole body began to expand, her eyes sinking into her skull. Her lips seemed to meld together, skin trickling over them like liquid wax her eyes taking on this horrible bloodshot red color. Her chest sank into itself with cracking sounds. And I'm so hungry. I'm always so hungry. No matter how long I feed on one of you, I can get hungry again so quickly. My kind were blessed with such gifts and yet cursed with such an appetite. How fortunate that your kind always makes it so easy, she said. And the voices were like a horrible droning buzz now. It was like a swarm of enraged bees had gained the ability to speak. Our kind, Emily asked, staring in horror at this thing, this sickening, horrific thing that seemed to be shifting and changing every second, its bones snapping and then reforming as it let out a sound that resembled something like laughter. Humans, you have such delicious minds, such sweet, tasty memories, such rich emotions. You make it so easy for us. 
Find some boy or girl rich in emotional memories, happy memories. They taste sweet as sugar. Drain them, drip by drip, until there's nothing good left, nothing but a hollow, soul-crushing emptiness. Then we fill it with ourselves, and we make ourselves your everything, your soulmate, your reason for living. And we feed on that devotion. We can feed on that pathetic, lovesick, puppy-dog adoration for months, if not years, until we're done with you, until we feed on the rest, crack the bones, suck out the marrow, rip out your hairless pink flesh and drink your hot blood, eat your eyes, your guts, and your sweet, sticky skin. The creature hissed, long, ropey strands of drool now hanging from the thing on its face, which I guessed must be its mouth. Emily and I were clinging to each other now as it lurched towards us, dragging its claws across the floor with a loud scraping noise. It's every moment seeming to snap its bones like dry twigs, or it's every movement, its eyes bulging from its horrible, deformed skull. Its breath smelled like sewage and gasoline, liquid skin mixed with what was either blood or drool dripping down onto the floor uh, from it as it came closer and closer. And I found that I couldn't remember my mother's face. I couldn't remember the first friend I'd made in school or the first time I'd held a girl's hand or Janet, don't, Emily hissed at me, taking my hands in hers, gripping them tightly. I focused on her, focused on her presence and made myself think about things and that this thing, Alice, or whatever its real name was, was trying to make me forget. I remember dancing with Emily at prom. I remember kissing her and telling her how I never wanted the night to end. I remembered our first date, my parents dropping us off, my mother telling me that she was proud of me, that no matter what anyone said, there was nothing wrong with us or our bond, and that she was proud her daughter had found love. That's sweet. The thing bellowed, a deafening, shrieking rage-filled sound. It was like nails down a chalkboard, its hands going to its face, raking across it. It pulled back a little as Emily advanced towards it now. My hand clutched tight in hers, staring at the thing in anger. You can't have her, you hear me? You ugly sack of shit, you can't have her. She howled at the thing, and the creature shrieked even louder now, slamming its head into the walls, leaving huge holes punched clean through them, roaring in agony and anger as it wildly thrashed back and forth. You can't do it, can you? It's why you took our friends first. Why you tried to isolate us. You're not strong enough to take the memories from both of us at the same time. So you took the people who remembered us first and then tried to take her from me. But as long as she's here, I will always have somebody to remind me of the good times, the happiness that we've shared, the love that we have, and I will always be there to remind her. You can't take her from me this time, you sick fuck. You can't take her because she's not alone. She screamed in Alice's face and then rearing back her hand, formed it into a fist and punched the creature's face hard and it sent the twisted, malformed behemoth crashing to the ground, making a sick, whimpering noise. She grabbed a heavy-looking athletics trophy off one of the shelves, advancing on the thing, and for one brief moment, it began to mutate back into Alice, looking at the two of us with a pleading, pitiful expression. Please, I'm so hungry, that's all, I'm just hungry, she moaned, but we could see the look in those eyes, that calculated, scheming look, and we both knew in that instant that this thing's hunger had nothing to do with its actions. That the pain and suffering it had caused us, and God knows how many other men and women over the years, was something it would have gladly done for no reason at all. As horrible as its true form had been, it was when we looked into those oh-so-human eyes that we knew we were looking into the eyes of a true monster. Emily brought the trophy down onto its skull and didn't stop until after it stopped moving. It was as if whatever spell the thing had cast was gone after that, and in the days that follow, we found that our other friends began to remember us. While having little to no memory of the last few months, we spared them the details. Our lives from then on were pretty typical. Things weren't perfect, and I thank God for that. Alice had been perfect. Alice had been fake in every sense of the word. Life isn't perfect, and neither are people. There were fights and arguments and words said that you wished you could be unsaid. 
But through it all, Emily and I stayed together, and this year she became my wife, making me quite possibly the happiest woman in the world. Our lives were perfectly imperfect, I suppose you could say. So why did I decide to share my story? I mean, everything's resolved, right? Happy ending all around? But just to forget the whole thing you're probably thinking, except here's the thing. I remember Alice and nobody else does. My wife doesn't. Our friends don't. Sometimes I find myself forgetting about her, and when I do, that's when it happens. I'll be walking through a crowded street, and I'll see that perfect smile, the perfect hair, those perfect clothes. And I'll be home alone, and I'll hear that laugh of hers from somewhere in the distance. I don't know what she was, a demon, an alien, a science experiment of some kind. But I know she isn't the only one of her kind. She said so herself, and I know what I believe. I believe that my remembering her is the only thing that keeps her dead, or at least as close to it, as her kind can get. And if I were ever to forget really forget. She'd be back in the world, free to do as she pleased. Ask yourself, how many times have you spoken to somebody about some person you're sure you both know, but literally cannot recall them, no matter how hard you try? Some friend or loved one, who you remember the two of you both knowing, but only you can remember. And ask yourself, why is that? I remember Alice. Remember when? Just in case of what might happen if we ever forget them. Just remember them. Oh, shit! Well, that was a fucking doozy. God damn. Whew. That made all the hair on my dick stand up. God, fuck. Thanks to the internet, your husband or boyfriend is masturbating at least five times a day. It's a fact. 80% of relationships fail because women lure in men with lots of sex, then turn it off and get fat. He's going to cheat, and quite frankly, you deserve it. <laughs> How can you compete with strippers and porn stars? How do you learn what men really want? Isn't it time you attended some classes at Nightlight's Continuing Education? Nightlight's offers courses that will teach you the techniques he's come to expect. Fulfill his fantasies without the messy divorce. Contact Nightlight's today and sign up for classes such as Rotisserie 101, Advanced ATM, and Coming Out Swinging for Beginners. Get your diploma in double P. Contact Nightlight's today. God damn, that was a doozy. So this will probably be the last one for the evening. And this one is called... The Sound of Sirens! It's called The Sound of Sirens. I'm not being racist. I mean, I was being racist, but now I'm not. And it is by Gareth Stone. The only thing worse than motorway driving is nighttime motorway driving. Drizzle doesn't help. The glittering glare of headlights and streetlights across the windscreen before the wipers smear it away. Then it glitters again. Then it's smeared away again. On and on and on. The thump, 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 thump. A bass beat to other noises. The ones that are always louder when you're a driver of a car full of sleeping people. Grunts and the odd snort from Karen next to me up front. Open mouth breathing from her offspring in the back. Beth is sitting upright at least. Unlike Melissa, who hangs forward nearly out of her seatbelt, a string of jewel, drool jutting out of her mouth. The lonely nymph book on the floor, closed in front of her. Typical. I look away and shiver. You wouldn't think that at eight years old, she was actually two years older than her sister. Definitely something wrong with that one. Karen went ballistic when I told her that I thought so. Still, I suppose I should be thankful for a break from their bloody bleating and Karen's needy whining. Don't get involved in that mess, mate. Gary's words, offered with a frown over the top of his pint, came back to haunt me again. 
a warning siren I couldn't hear at the time. Older women with two kids, ink barely drying the divorce paper, what the fuck are you thinking? Vulnerable and desperate for sex, that's what I was thinking. And Karen was, she definitely was at first, ten months ago, in the hire a babysitter and go out on the town phase of her recent divorce. But that was then. Turns out Gary was right. Not that I'd ever tell that motherfucker that, bastard. Heard secondhand that he's off with some of the Sunday lads to Turkey soon. None of them asked me, those bastards. Is this how it starts, the gradual exclusion from the social circle? Seen it happen before to others when they got to a certain age. Well, it's not going to happen to me. I hate most of them anyway. Mouthy. Jumped up pricks who think 30 is retirement age. I've got irons in the fire. That new girl at work for a start. I give Karen a sideways look. The lines and creases in her face look deep in the dashboard lights. Christ, is that what having kids does to you? The inside of the car darkens as something blocks out the streetlights. We're about to go under a bridge. I glance up, and I think I see a car parked up there. Black, against the streetlight, stained sky. I catch a flash of headlights, and I wonder, what the fuck? The beeping from the dashboard jolts me back for a few wide-eyed seconds. I can't remember what I'm doing. I've drifted over the line between the lanes and jerked the wheel back, overcompensating. Karen sways in her seat a bit, but doesn't wake up. Someone horns me. As we come up from under the bridge, I suppose I was in the wrong, but I stick up two fingers anyway at the guy overtakes out of principle. Christ, this seatbelt's tight. My heart's bouncing out of my chest and I wipe a sheen of sweat from my forehead, blaming the excitement of my lane drifting, even though I know it's chemical related. The sneaky hit I took in the service station toilets, Karen suspects I'm still taking the shit. I keep telling her I only use it on the occasional night out. Not that I fucking get out much anymore, but she never actually says anything. Doesn't have to. Gives me those, I know you're lying looks. Jesus. I bet this is what it's like to be married. Flicking on the air conditioner, and I winced at the noise of the blast, and I quickly turn it down. I wipe my head again, and I look at myself in the rearview mirror, frowning at the dark bruises under my eyes. Was Was it the drugs? Was it the weariness? The weekend's holiday... Trapped in a caravan with Karen and her bitching kids. Like it was my fault it rained. Karen refusing to have some proper fun because the walls were too thin. What a fucking waste. And now I look like Father Time. Yeah, fuck you, Gary, and fuck Turkey. In the rearview mirror, the bridge slides away as the motorway bends. A car definitely on it. Lights on. It's outlined, boxy, and generic. Probably some Eastern European mobile skip. Who the hell parks on a bridge... In the middle of the night, and what were they doing watching traffic? I lunge into the middle lane without checking my mirrors, not bothering to indicate. It's quiet out here, in the middle of nowhere. Just stragglers like us heading home from the ass end place. I fiddle with the air conditioner, no effect. Why is it so fucking hot? Another bridge coming up, and for some reason, wired boredom, maybe, or uh, desperate for distraction from the cloying sour milk smell of sleep breath coming from behind. I give the bridge a proper look, even though it's dark and I'm doing nearly 80. It's one of those stone ones, surely too old to be safely spanning a six-lane motorway, arching from what looks like one field to another, and I'm barely surprised when I spot a car parked on it, headlights beaming, but otherwise just a silhouette. It looks almost as if it was the same car as what was on the other bridge, all boxy, sharp angles, but I, I couldn't swear to it as I flashed underneath. If Karen was awake, I'd point it out to her, and she would no doubt give me her patented senility smile before 
dribbling with some random news flash about whose birthday was coming up, or worse still, drone through one of her tales from the workplace. I flick the temperature dial down another notch, telling myself the cold won't wake Karen or the kids up, and I shift in my seat, trying to unstick my shirt from my back. Is this cheap piece of shit air conditioning even working? To try and distract myself, I think about all the times I've been on the motorway and spotted a lone car or a person on a bridge in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Everyone sees them, but do they ever wonder what those weirdos are doing up there? My theories include sado car spotters, serial suicide contemplators, but not actual doers, two chicken shit, members of some nut job bridge cult or throwback numpties who refuse to drive on anything bigger than a B road. It doesn't work. I'm too aware of the stickiness of my skin and dull pain behind my left eye that thumps in time with the wipers. My passengers breathe on, adding their sleep heat to the stifling air, and I flail a hand over one of the slatted blowers, convinced that nothing's coming out. I come this close to yelling something, just to wake them all up, just to vent some some, some frustration, only to be stopped by the thought that listening to the girls bickering in Karen's monologues would be way worse. Furious that I can't even play music, I switch the satellite navigation on just to have something else to look at besides the occasional set of strobing cat's eyes. It lights up, and I divide my attention between the road and the screen, reading place names that I've never heard of and will never think about again once they've scrolled away, taking lanes and ribboning streams and unpopulated blocks of green with them. I try to ignore a trickle of sweat down the back of my neck, lights up ahead, floating above the road, another bridge? I can't tell exactly yet, but I have a little bet with myself, and that is if there's another car on it, then I'm allowed a little pick-me-up when we get home to mom and dad's after gladly dropping Karen and her money leeches off. I glance at the satellite navigation, knowing already that whatever the outcome of the bet I'm treating myself I'm whatever the outcome of the bet, I'm treating myself to some white powder when I get in. The bridge doesn't appear on screen. Gray blocks slide down the side of the solid line on the motorway like a broken Tetris game, but there's definitely no bridge. I wonder if the satellite navigation's as shot as the air conditioning. I peer ahead between the swing of the wipers to see what must be headlights on a, is it? Yes, it is. First prize in the Class A raffle goes to the man in the sweaty shirt, distinctly bridge-shaped block of solid dark across the motorway. Check the satellite navigation again, and it is most definitely not there, yet here it is. A looming arch, blacker than the sky behind it. A torch beam flashes across the windscreen, dazzling me. What the fuck? From a figure leaning over the edge, I swear, he points it and waves before I'm under and through, the, through and past. Blinking stars, I press the brakes, hard enough to lean Kate forward and lock my seatbelt, and swerve onto the hard shoulder and grind to a stop. Get my breath. What are you doing? You're wasting more time after this whole crap weekend only half an hour from home. My hand stops halfway to the gear stick. The thought of driving away without going to check the bridge seems wrong. Maybe it's just noisiness, a distraction from the numbing mindfuck of a drive. A chance to escape this heat and get some fucking fresh air. When I turn the engine off, the drizzle tinkles on the roof in a quiet, in the quiet a few seconds before fading. I check the windscreen and see that the rain has stopped and notice how empty the motorway is. How there is a big silence out there. The bridge is just a band of featureless black in my mirrors. No light to be seen from this angle. And then it hits me. that I'm parked on the hard shoulder in the middle of the night to do what? Get a fucking grip. I actually touched the gear stick this time. And when it, and when it comes a pull like a small undertow tugging at my thoughts. 
What if there's a woman up there, a gorgeous one, all grateful and breathless when I come to rescue her? Very grateful. Not for the first time in my life, but my groin overrides my brain and I put the hazard lights on, check my side mirror and get out into the air. It is not like the cool relief I was hoping for. The interior light comes on, bright to my eyes, but thankfully nobody inside stirs. Clicking the door shut, I peer back at the bridge and think I can see a figure still waving. Not in a help me kind of way, but more of a, but more of a come here, look at this. I squint in the on and off of the hazards, unable to make out any details, unable to tell if it's a man or a woman yet. I stumble out of the car's orange glow and into the black of the hard shoulder, kicking stones and gravel I can't see. No streetlights in this section, which lets more stars come through the sky than I've ever seen for a long time. And although I'm wary of the tarmac lane stretching out close by, the motorway seems empty enough for now. I catch a gleam of long white hair up on the bridge and can't help but grin. But I can't help the grin that appears on my face. I yank my shirt straight and realize that the air is cooler now, the sweat's drying on my forehead, and thank God for that. There aren't any steps up to the end of the bridge, just a grassy slope, so I take my time not wanting to slip on my ass in front of this potential damsel in distress. I stop at the top for a breather and try to take in the view, except that there isn't one. The motorway and the surrounding fields are lost in the darkness, completely gone. Where the fuck are all the lights? The car is there, and I look down a long way, and it seems from up here it's orange flashing glow, not reaching beyond the hard shoulder. It's cold up here. A wind chilling. A wind chilling what's left of the sweat on my exposed arm and face. The woman is waiting for me halfway across. No more than a waving light and a flash of silver hair floating in the dark. No sign of headlights or a car, come to think of it. I squint a bit, searching for the boxy outline I saw from the road. But the bridge is so dark I can barely see a few feet in front of my face. In fact, it feels completely isolated up here. I know we're in the countryside somewhere, but still, there should be some sign of civilization, like a house or streetlight, surely. I check my car again, suddenly convinced it'll be gone, leaving me stranded in the black. It's still there, of course. An island of glowing orange on the hard shoulder. And as I spot the silhouette of Karen and the girls inside, a memory of last night comes back to me. The four of us, locked in that caravan in the light of the television, sitting through some god-awful cartoon the girls had insisted on putting on. Some drivel about a mermaid who lured sailors onto her rock until, in a completely fucking unpredictable twist, she fell in love with them, and I can't remember the rest because I had to do a line somewhere in the bathroom to get through the rest of the evening. There are no rocks, and no one singing up here. In fact, the only sound is the wind, cold around my face. But the connection stays with me, and I suddenly don't want to go onto that bridge. I'd rather be back in that hot car, breathing secondhand air. Turn around then, what's the problem? Male pride? That is the problem. I can't just get off, run away. Anyway, I might as well get a look at her now that I'm up here. Who knows? She might be a stunner, a glamour model, a hot housewife. Might have been there waiting for hours for help. Maybe years. The word appears, just like that in my head, without my ears getting involved. Are you okay? I call. More to cover my fright than anything, my voice wavers and I can barely hear myself over the wind. But the light stirs, bobs forward, like she's taken a step towards me. I'm glad I called you. The voice is there again, invading my skull without traveling through the air between us, mesmerizing in a way that I can't describe, a way that distracts me from actual words. The lantern bobs again, and an outline comes with it. She's a head taller than me, with long, silvery hair falling down her sides and highlighting the curves of her hips, stirring more in me in one glance than, <laughs> than seeing Karen in all her sagging cellulite glory. Do you need help? Even as I speak, I'm answering a voice in my head. Why doesn't this feel more wrong? I know deep in my bones and my quivering gut, especially in my balls, that something is. 
something beyond what I'm seeing and experiencing is wrong and going on here. Like a magician covering an object with a silk cloth. I can see the rough shape of it, but I don't know what is here until it's pulled away. You are full of love. I don't feel any shame about the erection pushing at my trousers as she brings the light another step closer. Jesus, she's naked. I can't see anything, not really, just the impression of hips and thighs and breasts skinned and nothing but night and shadow. I snap my gaze up to her face where eyes shine out of the oval darkness. It's hard to tell where she starts and the night ends, but I can see enough to make my erection ache like I'm a bloody teenager again, touching a girl for the first time. I literally pinch myself, dig my nails into the back of my hand, and it's like somebody's thrown a cup of cold water in my face. I turn to hide my ridiculous lump, some part of my poor man brain screaming at me to get off this fucking bridge now. Absolutely brimming with love, my legs stop and turn me back to face her. She's closer, and her eyes are huge and bright in the dark like lanterns, and a breeze wafts over my face, and it's not the wind, it's her breath, and it smells like spices and freshly turned earth. All of that love you keep to yourself, that you refuse to give others, I will take it and my sisters will have their share. Other lights glow into life on the bridge, moving into a circle with me at the center. I know there is still a warning voice yelling at me inside my skull, but it's faint. Like it's locked behind a thick door, deep underground and besides. Her eyes are beautiful and so shining I can see myself in them, it's fascinating. Why me? A voice asked and says again, why me? before I realize it's my voice and that I've just said it, like when I'm drunk and I tell Karen how dumb she is and I can't remember saying it later, so I tell her she must have made it up just to start an argument. Oh my god. Her light moves out of the circle and glides over to the wall at the side of the bridge. Finally, you're the right one and we accept the offering. Offering? I don't know if it's a thought or if I've spoken out loud again, but I follow her to her parapet and look to where an orange glow shines on tire tracks smeared across the tarmac snaking onto the hard shoulder, leading towards the reveal, my car, burning in the middle of the blazing light and the mass of dark down there, and heat, waves of heat carried on smoke. I want to turn from the brightness, but it holds me there, feeling that heat, remembering that heat, and I see the black shapes within the flames, three of them, flames flickering around them like orange lights, like flashing hazard lights. My nails scratch across the stone as I'm pulled away, just as the world is filled with the sound of sirens. Ooh! Gareth Stone, well written. God damn. Hey, around here is barbecue season year-round. That means it's time to kill some factory farmed animals, pack the cooler, cremate some dead flesh, and invite your friends over to get into drunken fistfights. At Smoked Dreams, we have oversized grills that can smoke a 10-point buck or medium-weight neighbor. <laughs> hey, in the suburban backyard barbecue ego wars, you need the equipment to prove you're manly. Fry a turkey live for a great party trick. Or pick up our $15,000 grill with a built-in abattoir. Insert a live animal and it will skin butcher and flip it on the grill automatically while your neighbors look on in envy at what a man you are. Forget about charcoal or propane. With our patented mixture of kerosene and liquid hydrogen, you'll scorch the competition. We also sell backyard tiki torches that can be used in case you need to form a drunken mob to run a neighbor out of town. Smoke dreams. Kill it and grill it. And that's going to be it for today. I want to thank you all for your continued patronage and for tuning back in and listening to this episode all the way through. This has been another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I'm sorry that it's been so hit or miss in regards to the intervals that I've uploaded, but uh, with the 
lockdown and unrest uh, on top of all that, my recording shit seems to be on the fritz. So unfortunately, it appears that I'm going to need to buy a new recording setup because my laptop is fried. Uh, it, there are bursts of when it's not. I don't know how it's how it. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with it, but I believe it's a corrupted hard drive. Um, so I needed to buy a new MacBook. I might start a GoFundMe, or if somebody wanted to start a GoFundMe for that, I would be much obliged. But when the laptop dies, there's nothing I can do. So some of those long breaks of no recorded episodes being uploaded were because I had no access to any of my recording shit. So sorry, but there's not much I can do about it other than wait for a deal or something. But anyway, if you guys want, I think, fuck, I think my email address got banned because everything, I got called a racist in a comment and I believe they tried to ban a bunch of my shit and it looks like just the email got banned, my, uh, my corporate email. But in the event that it's not, please send me an email at springheeledjack at anthologyofhorror.com. You can also go to the website, which I believe is still active, and that's anthologyofhorror.com, where we have a very nifty, if not groovy, podcast player, uh, and that's pretty much it. But I also believe that there's a link to the Patreon, which if you were so obliged, if you could donate a couple bucks, it'll definitely go into the laptop fund so that I can keep this podcast going. But if not, I understand that too. Times are tough, and uh, do what you got to do. But I appreciate you guys, and let me see if I can pull up the episode details for the last episode. Yes. I want to see how much my demographic has changed, if not at all. I have a shitload more listeners with this uh, this quarantine, in effect, and everything that's been going on. It appears that Dallas, Texas has taken the number one spot, followed closely by San Antonio, Texas, and Chicago, still in the top ten list, but bumped to third. Then Houston, Texas, Los Angeles, California, Atlanta, Georgia, that's that's a new one, I think, on the top 10. Thanks, Atlanta. Columbus, Ohio, Orlando, Florida, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Alhambra, Arizona. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate your continued support. And the top countries, U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, India, Germany, Ireland, Sweden, the Philippines. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys listening. It does mean a lot. Sweden, that's funny. All right, guys. Take care. Until next time, stay spooky.